Good evening to all of you again. Greetings in the precious name of Jesus Christ. I trust each of you had a wonderful day, whatever you were doing. It's good to be here again this evening. I just want to say thank you again for the way that you've been supporting us this week. It's been a great blessing um, to the individual who dropped a meal off at our house. It was our supper this evening, and it was perfect, so thank you um, for doing that. And for everybody else who's been blessing us in different ways, we greatly appreciate it. And again, thank you for, for praying for me. I've sensed it throughout the week, and I just want to commend all of you as a as a congregation. It's enjoyable for me when I go to other churches and I see a congregation of people who enjoy being together. And that's something that I sense here um, among you here at Myerstown. So God bless you in that. And I trust that um, that can continue. I believe this evening I am speaking to an audience of people who love living and who love life. And I think that's important. Um, We, as human beings, when we are functioning healthy human beings, we love to live, we love to make memories, and we love to experience life. And we love to share memories with those people that we love. And I believe that life was given to us by God to be lived to the fullest and to be enjoyed. And there are many different reasons why we want to live and why we want to um, experience life together with other people. And it's interesting how throughout the seasons of life, some of those reasons for living shift and change a little bit um, because our priorities change and life brings changes into, um, into our lives. Last spring, um, there was a lady from our church who passed away from cancer. Um, some of you might have known Arlene Zimmerman. And I remember one of the one of the last times that I spoke with her before she passed away, we had a very interesting conversation. And the conversation was kind of centered around this idea of, of living and why um, we like to live and everything else. Um, she, at that point, was just a couple of weeks away from actually passing away. I don't remember exactly the time frame, but I think it might have been like two or three weeks later that she... Um, that she would have passed away. But I remember her talking with with Laura and I, and she was saying how, um, she's like, you know, when when I was younger, the reason I wanted to live was because of my children. And she said as they got older, I wanted to live because I wanted to experience things that I experienced as I got older, things like getting married and having children. She's like, I wanted to be around for that. And then she said as I got older... She said, I, I wanted to live to see my grandchildren and to see my grandchildren get older. And she said, as time went on, um, and she kind of just kept talking about how as time went on, you know, all these different things changed and, and the reason why she wanted to live. And she said that right now the reason I want to stay alive is for my husband, for Luke Ray, because I, I, I don't want to die and leave him alone. And I remember having that conversation, and then she kind of stopped, and she just, I just remember she got kind of this faraway look in her eyes, and she was just like, like, how long do you think we would live if we could just live until the things that we wanted to stay alive for just went off the scene? How long do you think we would actually live? 
As we look at our lives, all of us here tonight, I believe, have plans for our lives, which is how God wants us to live. God wants us to have plans, and God wants us to have things that we want to do. One of my friends um, who happens to be on the pastoral team at Pleasant Valley, currently him and his family are in Ghana, um, he often talks about his bucket list and the things that he wants to do before um, he dies. And little by little, he's chalking off these things on his bucket list. We talk about things that, that we would like to do, and I think that's, that's good. We make plans and we dream about the future. But the truth is, the future isn't really ours. The future doesn't, doesn't belong to us. Right here, right now, in the present, we are here. And we have this moment right now in which we are living. But I can't make plans for tomorrow and guarantee you that I'll be able to accomplish it. I can't guarantee you that I'm going to be here tomorrow night. I'm going to make every effort, and I'm going to try with all of my strength. But there is the possibility that I could not be here tomorrow evening. Not by my choice, but by the plans of God. The future isn't ours. And there's an end that is coming that none of us are exactly aware of. Probably everybody here tonight knows who Steve Jobs is, or was. Steve Jobs was the founder of Apple, and he was a Buddhist who made no claims whatsoever to be a Christian, and he died from pancreatic cancer in 2011. And in 2005, he was giving um, a commencement address to the students at Stanford University. And he was talking with them about death. And this was what he said, I quote, If you live every day as if it's your last, one day you'll most certainly be right. I have looked in the mirror every day and asked myself the question, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do? The point that he was making was, in life, we can get involved in a lot of different things. And he was trying to encourage the students to get involved in things that would make a difference. And not just be involved in things that were mundane tasks. And he went on and he talked about his job and actually how he um, founded Apple and kind of the motivation behind all of that. But he said that when he asked himself that question, when he looked at himself and he said, if I said to myself, that this was not what I would want to do if this were the last day of my life. He said, if I said that too many days in a row, I knew that something had to change. Every one of us here tonight, because we are alive, have a day that is coming that will be our last. It will be our last. And we don't have to, we don't have to live in fear of that. We don't have to be afraid of that last day. But the truth is, is that all of us are going to face death at some point in time in our lives unless the Lord decides to return before um, that takes place. But as we think about death, the truth is, for us as believers, in a sense, death is freedom. Because we are released 
from everything that holds us down as a believer, everything that attempts to take us away from Christ, we break all of those bonds forever, all of that discouragement, all of that just temptation, all of that stuff is, we're going to leave it all behind. And so in a way, when we think about death, um, it's a means of, of freedom and escape for us as Christians. Now I'd like to go to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and I would like to read the first four verses of this chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death and the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. And the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Now when you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, for myself, whenever I look at this book and I think about Solomon's attempt to put into writing just almost like the jumble of thoughts that were going through his head, as I look at these verses and I look at what Solomon is trying to tell us, he says in verse 1 that the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. And when you look at this verse and you take it at, at face value, we say, how is that possible? How is it possible that the day of one's death is, the be- is better than the day of one's birth? My wife and I are expecting a child in December, and with the experience that we had with our last son, there's a different measure of excitement that we feel almost, it's almost more than we felt with any of our other children. And so when I look at a verse like this, I think about the joy that new life brings to a family, I question, like, what is Solomon talking about? How is it possible that this day of some, somebody's day of death is better than the day of their birth? Well, look at what he's contrasting. In verse 2, he talks about how it's better to be mourning than to be feasting. And he says that that's the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. He talks about sorrow, how it's better than laughter. He says, by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. When I look at the sadness that, that Solomon is talking about here, he's talking about the pain that comes through separation at death and the sorrow that we sense through grief. And I believe that Solomon is saying here that by sadness of the countenance through sorrow, the heart is made better because it brings us to a place where we have to grapple with who we are before God. Because death is a way of reprioritizing our lives, helping us to kind of refocus, because all of a sudden 
we have to stop and, and recognize again our mortality. One of the last times that we went to Sister Orlean's house, um, that was about a month and a half or so before she passed away. Um, it was shortly after the doctors had told her that there wasn't any more hope for her. And we were sitting there talking about the prognosis and kind of how she felt about it. And she said, this was, was her words, she just said, I never knew that I could sense such a peace knowing that I'm about to die. And when I listened to her, her testimony and as I listened to her talk about that, it struck me that for her, because she understood that she was living under a short time frame, she had done a lot of hard evaluation. She had taken a lot of time to stop and think about her spiritual condition and where she was at. And through that time, there were things where she said, I needed to go back and I needed to talk to this person or I needed to, to do this. She was making preparation. And through it, her heart was made better and she talked about this peace that just flowed from her heart. And it flowed from her life. And we sensed that as we visited with her. When we lost our, our son Dietrich, Frank Reed filled in for me at school. And one morning, um, I went to school and I, I had conversation with him. Um, him and his wife had faced something similar with their first child. And I remember talking with him and just discussing how it really just didn't seem like God knew what he was doing. Like it just felt really, really unfair. I'll be honest with you, after, after our son died, it was extremely difficult for me to read news articles where it talked about children whose lives had been taken through abuse or anything like that. It was very difficult for me to read that because in my mind, I was just like, I would have loved to have had my son's life be spared and that child experience what my son did because that child would have had a merciful death, at least in my eyes. But I remember the conversation that I had with Frank and he said, you know, Randy, he said, you can ask those questions all day. You can ask those questions, why? Like, God, why, why did you take my son? Why didn't this happen to somebody else? Why is this my experience? He said, you can take that question. He said, you can keep asking why, why, why. But he said, I think the question that you need to ask God is what? What do you want me to learn through this experience? And as hard as it's been, that has been what I have purposed to do in my heart. I'm not saying that I've never asked the question why since then. But because of the sorrow that God brought into our lives, we have had to grapple with things that otherwise would have never happened.
There would have been things that we would have never, questions that we would have never had to ask. And so in a sense, in a way, looking back now, 15 months later, it looks a lot different than what it did at first. And I'm thankful for what God has done in our lives. But I believe that there are things that I have learned that otherwise myself and my wife and our children wouldn't have learned without that experience. And that's why I think Solomon is saying that sorrow is better than laughter. That sadness of the countenance, through it, the heart is made better. Because we have to grapple with things that otherwise we might never have had to, had to deal with or things that, questions we might never have had to ask or even to answer. But you and I, tonight, live in a temporal realm that one day will be taken from us. And there are things that we have to walk through that are hard, that are difficult, that God enables us to walk through, and it is our it needs to be our purpose to walk through that looking for the hand of God. But tonight my question, as you're here this evening, the question that I would like to ask you is what are you living for? What are the things that you are saying are valuable to me? What are the things that you are saying? These things, you're setting these things aside and you're saying these things right here are really, really important to me. What are those things? Let's stay in the book of Ecclesiastes and go back to the first chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. It says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, Vanities of va- Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers came, thither they return again. All things are full of labor, man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of those things that are to come with those that shall come after. Here Solomon is talking about almost the the mindless cycle of life. And he's talking about how we work really hard under the sun. We do all of these things. We work really, really diligently. And yet, what is the fruit of our labor? What is the profit? You and I, as human beings, because of the curse that we live under, have to struggle for our living. In order to stay alive and to survive, we struggle and we fight through it. And Solomon's just pointing out that a lot of that just feels 
like vanity. Because one generation passes away and along comes another one. Along comes another generation to replace that one. Then he talks about the sun. He says how the sun comes up and the sun goes down. He talks about the wind and how it blows toward the south and then it turns and it blows to the north and it just blows all around. And then he talks about water and how all these rivers run into the sea and yet the sea isn't full. Well, we know the sea isn't full because there's something called evaporation where that water is evaporated and it goes back up into the air and then eventually it goes into the clouds and then it rains and it falls down into the rivers and it runs into the rivers and the rivers run back into the sea and it just, it's going through this cycle. And Solomon's just looking at all of that thinking, is this life? Like all of this stuff just kind of looks like, like it's futile. What is this all about? When you look at this circle and the constant motion of the world, it's almost like our existence is on just like a merry-go-round where we step on for a, a, just a little bit we get to ride around maybe once or twice and then we get off again. And somebody else gets on. And then they go around and they get off. And that's almost what our existence feels like here um, on this earth. In Psalm chapter 144, it says this, Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. The point that I want to drive home tonight, as you and I think about our existence here, and we think about what we are living for, what is your life? Really, what is your life? Solomon's talking about its brevity. And in Psalm, the psalmist talks about how his days are as a shadow that passes away. When I was little... We grew up close to the, the Lancaster airport, and so I remember clearly seeing the airplanes coming in and out of the airport and watching them take off and everything else. It was kind of a common occurrence. Um, people would come to visit us, and they'd be like, an airplane! And we'd be like, yep, there it goes. And uh, to us, it just wasn't a big deal. But I remember being very little, and if you were in just the right place and the plane was at the right spot, the airplane's shadow would actually go across the ground. And I remember being just a little boy, and we'd chase after that shadow. We'd run as fast as we could. We could never keep up to it, but it was still fun just to go chasing after it. But we'd see it just for a little bit, and then it would be gone. A few years ago, we were... um, I remember it was a full moon, and my wife and I were sitting out. We have a little balcony um, on the second floor of our house. We were sitting out there, and we were just looking at the moon, and we were talking... And as we were talking, I noticed that there was an airplane that was flying straight towards the moon. And I was like, hey, look at that. And we looked up, and for just a split second, you could see the full outline of the plane on the full moon, and then it was gone. And all you could see was the blinking lights again. And I was like, wow, that was, that was really amazing. But we only got to see it for just a split second. When you look at what the psalmist is saying... He's talking about how your days are the shadow that passes away. That's what our lives are like. I remember being young, and I remember sitting in, in the youth Sunday school class, and I remember our Sunday school teacher talking about how short life is. And he was talking about how it just, it's gone. It's so quick. 
And he was sitting there with his little boys, and one of those little boys is now my brother-in-law. He's married to my youngest sister. Um, But I remember sitting there, and I'm thinking, this is just, you know, whatever. And now here I am with boys who are actually probably older than his were then, and I'm just like, like, how did that happen? I had a conversation with somebody um, last end of last year, and he said that he always said when he gets to like when he gets to be older, he's never going to tell people that. Like life is really really short, and I'm like, I think actually you need to tell people that that their life is really short. It goes by fast. Um, I was just talking to one of the oldest church members of our congregation. And he was just talking about how, he's like, I'm in my 80s. Um, It was his birthday. We were talking about how old he was. He's like, I'm in my 80s, and I'm just like, I was just 30. Like, what happened? But that's how life is. Life is, we go through days, and it's like, where'd the day go? And then all of a sudden, a week has passed, and and then a month. Um, When we're little, it just seems like a week from now is, whew, that's an eternity. But as you get older, it just feels like it goes faster and faster And here in the book of Psalm, the psalmist is reminding us of the shortness of our lives. How incredibly short all of these things are. You and I have been given this life, and it's full of work, it's full of tasks. And what does it all mean? When you walked into this building tonight, how many of you just looked at the lights, and said, I'm really thankful for Thomas Edison. How many of you thought that? None of you, right? When you got into your car this morning, none of you were like, thank God for Henry Ford. None of us did. And I look at people today, modern day entrepreneurs, uh, maybe one of the more famous ones right now is Elon Musk with SpaceX and all of that stuff, and Tesla, and his big thing is he's, going to invent rockets so we can go to Mars, so we can preserve mankind and all of this other stuff. He's trying to make a name for himself. And he's saying, I'm concerned about the human race that will never go extinct. And I look at somebody like that and I I say, can't you look back on history and see all of these individuals and see all of the good things that they did? They were involved in great things and some of their inventions were really, really important. They've affected our lives in a big way. But we don't think about them on a daily basis. We don't think about their accomplishments. Yet, so many times in our lives, we get caught up in this life that we're living and we make our existence about this right here. Our existence right here on this earth. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Verse 16 says this, For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man? As the fool. In other words, there are people who in their, in their minds, they think that they really have something to offer to the world. I am a wise individual. Listen to what I am saying. And yet, how do they die? They die just like the fool. Their words, many times, are not any more remembered than that of the fool. 
It's interesting how we have great works of art, literary works of art, that people say, you know, these are wise words. These are people who really had something to offer to humanity. And some of them are really, really good, and I'm, I'm not discrediting them. But I believe that there have been a lot of very wise people who also have lived on the face of the earth, yet their words never got recorded. But to say that that person was any less important than the person whose words are recorded, I don't believe that, that, that we can say that, or that those persons' words have any more have any more weight. When we look at death, in the verse that I just read, he says, seeing that now in the days which are to come shall all be forgotten. Now we're going to be rewarded for the things that we have done for God. But the things that we have done in our struggle to stay alive, our struggle to, to exist on this planet, all of those things are going to be done away with. If I am here, and I am trying to build for myself a kingdom that's centered on myself, my own selfish ambitions and my own selfish desires, all of that is going to crumble, all of it is going to disappear, none of it will be remembered. None of it. Only the things that I have done for Jesus Christ are going to be important on the day of my death. When death comes, there's a finality in which all of it is wrapped up. And that's why today it is so important that you and I focus on the things that have eternal value. Our lives are short. They are here for a moment. They're like a shadow passing across the ground. They're like a vapor. Something you see just for a moment and then it's gone. Am I doing things for Christ? Am I doing things for eternity? I'd like to go to the book of... I'm staying in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'd like to go to chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. In my study Bible, there's a heading over this, this chapter, and it's titled, Principles for Living. I'd like to read verses... 1 to 10, it says, For all this I considered in my heart, even to, to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise in their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him that sacrifices and to him, and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner, and he that sweareth is he that feareth an oath. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil and madness is in their heart while they live and after that they go to the dead. For to him that is joined to all the living there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun. 
all the days of thy vanity, for that is the portion in this life, and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Solomon here is giving us advice for our lives, and he's talking again about life and what it means for all of us. And he talks about our existence here on this earth with the good and with the bad. He's talking about how the righteous live among the wicked, yet each of them faces an end, an end that is coming. All of them go to the dead. I believe that Solomon here is talking about us living our lives to the fullest. And he's talking about living life with joy. Life is meant to be lived with joy. Life isn't meant to be lived as a drudgery. Life is meant to be filled with joy in serving the Lord. He talks about how God accepts your work as you serve Him with gladness and as you serve Him with joy. Do you think about your life? And do you think about your days here on this planet? What is your life? What is it for? What are you living for? All of us are living right now, here in this existence, understanding that the end is to come. Am I living with that in mind? I'd like to close by going to the second book, or the fifth book, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. Chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. It says this, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God in house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. As you think about your life, and you think about the end of your life, is there an anticipation that you sense with passing from this world into the next? Is there a certain amount of anticipation that you feel because of what that means for you as a Christian, as an individual. One of the things my wife and I often talked about after Dietrich died was how it just gave us a new sense of we just want to go home. We just want to go home and be present with the Lord. Now obviously there was something else that was pulling on our hearts, something else that was, was gripping us. 
But tonight, I believe that it is important that each of us, we live life right here. We live it with joy. We live it understanding that God has placed us here to live our existence, understanding that we're going to have to go through a certain amount of of fight in order to stay alive. We live it with joy at the same time in our hearts. There's a joy that overflows because we are anticipating the day when we will be absent from this body here on this earth and we will stand in the very presence of God Himself. Paul said very clearly here, he says, I am willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And then he says in verse 9, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. As you look at your life, and you evaluate all those things that you're involved in, can you say, absent or present from the Lord, my work, the things that I'm involved in, my labor, is acceptable to Him? If God was to call you out of this world tonight, could you boldly step into the presence of God saying, I am here. Not on my own merit. I'm not here on my own merit. But I can stand before you boldly because of the work of Christ in my life and because I purposed in my heart that I was going to, to do only the labor that would be acceptable to Him. That's my challenge for you this evening. Think about it. Your life is a vapor. It is short. Are you involved in things that are going to make an eternal difference? Or are you just working for your existence right here? Let's pray. God in heaven, tonight we acknowledge that we are human beings. And we live in in this temporary world. We look around us and there's a lot of things around us. And God, it's easy to get caught up in those things. But I pray that each of us tonight would set our focus on you. Solomon very clearly pointed out that our lives are nothing but a shadow. They're just for a moment. They're here and then they're gone. And God, the only thing that is important in our existence between the day of our death or the day of our birth and the day of our death is what is done for you. And I pray that each person here tonight could purpose in their heart that they are going to only do the labor that is acceptable to you. God, I pray that each of them could be committed to that calling. And God, we look forward to that day when we will trade these earthly tabernacles, these earthly tents that we live in, these earthen pots, and we will receive from you our eternal, glorious bodies. God, we anticipate that day and we long for it. And God, we ask that it would be soon. God, go with us. I pray that your blessing would rest upon us. Lord, we want our lives to clearly speak of you. And God, may that be our case tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.